0: The November 4th, uh, 2021 meeting of the historical, (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I need to repeat that, but uh, the November 4th meeting of the uh, historical advisory board
1: Lau? yeah. Sanchez?
2: Yes, here. And wait. Present.
1: Okay, we have a quorum.
0: Excellent. Uh, next item on our agenda is a review of our meeting minutes from our September 2nd meeting. I uh, hope everybody has a chance to review those and uh, wondering if anyone has any comments.
2: Uh, no comments from me, Tom.
0: Everybody seems to think that they're accurate. Okay, so somebody want to uh, make a motion?
3: Motion to approve approve the minutes.
0: Second? I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. I think that's a five uh, vote approval. So the meeting minutes from September 2nd are approved without change. Uh, The next item on the agenda is agenda changes and discussions. Does anybody on the board want to, or, this, or the city staff want to make a change or uh, discuss the agenda? I don't see anybody raising their hand, so we'll assume no. Um, with that, we'll move on to oral communications. Uh, at this point, that's an opportunity from, for anyone who's joining the meeting from the city uh, to address the board on relevant topics uh, to this board uh that aren't on the agenda so is there anyone participating in the meeting that would like to speak to us uh looks like there's one person raising their hand uh christopher buckley for a uh, oral communication item or part of the agenda um i'm not too sure about that all okay uh... Let's let him tell us Uh, uh christopher buckley. buckley
4: yes can you hear me we can okay yes this is just for oral communications it's not an agenda item okay and it uh, relates to the aaps letter which i emailed you a couple of days ago concerning the housing element i wanted to call your attention to it and uh, we we should have cc'd the letter to you in the first place and that slipped through the cracks and so i apologize for that We think that the board might want to get involved in the review of the new housing element as it goes forward, because it could have significant impacts on historic neighborhoods, uh, primarily because it's proposing upzoning everything in the city um, more than doubling the existing density in many cases in historic neighborhoods. The main thing that's driving the housing element, as you may know, is the need to build or add you know, about 5,300 units between now and 2031 to satisfy the regional housing needs assessment. So the city's having to scramble to figure out how to do this. The um, Alameda Point would absorb a lot of them. Our group thinks that sites such as some of the shopping centers along the estuary could absorb a lot uh, it may be necessary to add more units. This is in addition to ADUs, by the way, which are permitted by right. But the city is uh, in the housing element uh, so far is suggesting that 500 new units would need to be in the residential areas. But we think that upzoning everything is somewhat reckless because you can't, it's very hard to downzone once you upzone. And the a lot of the zoning they're proposing now would would, would double the existing, so it would become uh, one thousand square feet of lot area per unit. That means with a five thousand square foot lot, you could get five units on it. That in turn would trigger state density bonus projects, which allow developers to waive height limits and go higher. So it's possible it could open the door for large intrusive buildings within neighborhoods. And uh, and once once that's done, it's very hard to undo. Our thought is if you have to go into the area, residential areas, be very targeted and be gradual. You know, don't just jump in all at once. So the letter we sent you, um, you know, presents some of these concerns and uh, it's going to be several months. This is a multi-month process. It'll be going to the city council um, on November 16th. So that'll be the next public review opportunity. But we would recommend that the board ask that uh, it be included in the review process and given the opportunity to review and comment on um, the housing element drafts as they go forward. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Buckley. Um, Just FYI, we've been told by city staff that this is gonna be on our agenda for the December 2nd HAB meeting. So we appreciate your letter and it looks like we're gonna be taking it up in another month or so. Um, are there any other oral communications? There's no one else raising that. Okay. Um, next item on the agenda: written communications. Um, anything other than the AAPS letter we're just discussing?
1: Henry, no, we didn't. Call? We didn't receive
0: any other um, written communications.
1: No, okay. we didn't receive any other communications.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So moving quickly along, we're already at our regular agenda and the first item item 7a is review of our 2022 meeting calendar i think it follows the same pattern that we've been on for um, several years now and without change Um, are there any comments no comments do we do we need to actually approve this or uh, is it just for information item. Um, Yeah,
1: I I believe you guys have to um, approve the the calendar for the next year.
0: Okay. Well, if there's no objections, does anybody want to make a motion to approve?
2: I'll move to approve the calendar for next year. Okay. A second. All in favor of approving the, uh,
0: the calendar for 2022. Aye. That's unanimous. 5-0 Five zero approval.
5: Henry, I don't know if you're taking note, but uh, Alvin seconded. I think your head was—I don't know if you caught that because he
1: just. Oh, raised. thank you, Lynn. Yeah, I appreciate
0: that. I should say that. Though. Sorry. <laughs> okay, clarified for the record. Uh, and then item seven B is our is our main focus for tonight. The uh, draft climate. Adaptation and Hazard Mitigation Plan. Um, Are we having a presentation?
6: Yes, I have a presentation prepared. Give me one moment.
0: Yeah, the floor is yours.
6: Okay, thank you. Good evening Chair Saxby and board members. My name is Danielle Mueller. I'm Alameda's Sustainability and Resilience Manager. And the item before you tonight is to review and comment on the draft climate adaptation and hazard mitigation plan. Um, The plan addresses natural and climate induced hazards that impact the city of Alameda and lays out a strategy for mitigating um, those hazards and adapting to a changing climate. I think it's really important to mention um, that the success of this plan is really closely tied to our ability to meet our Climate Action and Resiliency Plan goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Those are um, extremely ambitious to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent below 2005 levels by 2030 and to achieve net zero emissions as soon as possible. Uh, Achieving those goals will help Um, along with efforts at the state and national and international level will hopefully help um, mitigate the the worst impacts of climate change that we anticipate in the future. There's a number of reasons that we um, update this plan. One is to create a more resilient community in Alameda, but it also makes us eligible for federal um, mitigation grant programs as well as eligibility for additional points under the National Flood Insurance Program's community rating system. Uh, Alameda is a class eight community that um, helps residents receive a 10% discount on their flood insurance. Um, It also allows for a waiver of a local match for public assistance money that comes from FEMA following a disaster. This is an update of the local hazard mitigation plan that was last adopted um, and approved by FEMA in 2016, and these plans must be updated every five years. Um, The plan aligns with our general plan safety element, as well as the climate action and resiliency plan. There's an adaptation chapter um, there and the emergency management plan. This is different than an emergency management plan because here we talk about things that we can do before a disaster to reduce the impact of a disaster, while an emergency management plan focuses on how the city um, and agencies would respond after a disaster to protect lives and safety. Um, The plan uh, evaluates a number of hazards, including earthquakes and flooding and sea level rise, uh, tsunami, heat, drought, Um, and the wildfire related hazards of smoky air and PSPS that we have been experiencing as well as um, a dam breach inundation. Um, We're going to focus tonight just on um, the most significant hazards to Alameda which is earthquakes and um, flooding and sea level rise. But I'm happy to provide more information or answer questions on other hazards of interest as well um, that are included in the plan. So most of us know that we are overdue for a major earthquake on the San Andreas or Hayward faults and that there's a 67% chance of a major earthquake on one of our region's faults before 2043. Several of these faults would produce strong shaking and liquefaction in Alameda and would be stronger than the Loma Prieta earthquake and would impact the entire, uh, really the entire region. Um, Much of Alameda's area Uh, much of Alameda's land is on artificial fill, which is particularly susceptible to liquefaction shown in the map here. Um, Liquefaction happens when water saturated, loose and sandy soil behaves like a liquid and strong shaking, and it's particularly damaging to roadways, buried infrastructure, and building foundations. Um, One of the most significant impacts of an earthquake um, in Alameda and really the region would be um, Damage to, to to older housing and to and loss of housing um, and displacement of residents. There's a few t- particularly vulnerable types of housing that we have in Alameda, and one of them is um, older single-family homes that have a cripple wall or a um, a uh, an above-ground basement or like a crawl space. Um, usually identified by a, f- a few stairs up to the front door or the front porch of the home. Um, or sometimes a split-level home with a living space over a garage. In Alameda, we have over 10,000 of these homes built before 1980, which is sort of the cutoff date um, for vulnerability. And we looked through the permit records and found about 600 to 900 homes of those 10,000 that had been seismically retrofitted, including uh, when folks do basement digouts, that tends to bring um, those, those walls up to code as well. So, we really wanted to highlight the the risk that we face to Alameda's older housing stock um, and to the housing, just housing preservation and safety of our residents here in Alameda from damage to these homes. Um, The California Earthquake Authority has a brace and bolt program, which provides um, grants to residents uh, to retrofit single family homes and duplexes. Um, That program is open right now and providing $3,000 grants with additional um, money for low-income homeowners. So we really want to encourage residents to take advantage of that and to um, conduct these these retrofits. Um, Another type of home that's uh, maybe maybe less historic but also um, very important to our affordable housing stock in Alameda are called soft story buildings. Um, These are uh, multi-family apartment buildings that have, um, they're defined in the city's soft story program as five or more units, but they can have fewer three or four unit um, buildings. They have large open spaces on the ground floor. Sometimes it's for parking garages with doors, but sometimes as shown in this building, um, just open parking on the ground floor. They can also be um, retail on the ground floor. some of our retail buildings with uh, apartments on the upper floors have this soft story condition so that open the large open space on the bottom um, really lacks um, the strength and stability of the upper floors and collapses in an earthquake Um, so we're really concerned about this from a safety and housing preservation issue um and you know, Damage to these buildings would have significant consequences to renters and vulnerable populations in Alameda, and many residents would be permanently displaced. In 2009, the city of Alameda established a wood frame soft story program that required building owners to conduct a structural evaluation, notify tenants and occupants, and install gas shutoff valves. And as a result, more than 70% of these buildings have been structurally retrofitted. Um, But there are about 63 buildings remaining with uh, 1,000 housing units. Um, And so we are looking into ways to support these owners to complete their seismic retrofits. And there's currently some grants available from the city for low-income owners uh, to complete this work. Um, And so, and then we just wanna highlight that while the ordinance focused on the buildings with five or more units, there are an additional about 850 buildings. With over three thousand with over three thousand units, um, in the three to four unit uh, building size that are also likely vulnerable. Um, and then, just talking briefly about sea level rise and flooding, um, this is really a major long term risk to to all of Alameda and to, um, to our future here. In the near term, we're planning for three and a half feet of sea level rise by 2070 in addition to a hundred year storm, which is about another three and a half feet storm surge. Um, Looking farther into the future, we anticipate approximately seven feet of sea level rise in addition to the hundred year year storm and these predictions are uh, following the Ocean Protection Council's 2018 guidance. Um, that is a conservative scenario, and it assumes a high emissions future. And so, again, I think it's just important to make that connection between our efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and the future that we um, that we face here in Alameda. Um, along with sea level rise um, comes groundwater rise, and uh, which impacts buried infrastructure and causes flooding in basements, as many of us know who have. Uh, basements here in Alameda saw flooding, especially over the, the recent um, storms. Um, so, this is an issue that in Alameda, this map is showing um, emergent groundwater places that could have permanent um, groundwater that's actually above the surface. So, um, really more like ponds um, with 36 inches of sea level rise. Um, so, we um, conducted a study on groundwater um, impacts um, in 2020 and are really looking to further understand the, the range of um, solutions and investments needed to prioritize um, and strategies to address groundwater rise. In our 2019 Climate Action and Resiliency Plan, a number of uh, low spots were identified where inundation occurs first, and staff is prioritizing efforts to shore up these locations. But we know that this will not be the end of shoreline improvements that will be needed to protect Alameda for the long term. And staff is looking to develop a citywide sea level rise adaptation strategy that includes um, addressing groundwater rise. So I just wanted to highlight a few strategies here for you tonight. There's more than 50 um, proposed in the plan. Um, but the related strategies that may be related to, to your work on the um, the Historical Advisory Board is uh, looking to expand and improve on the soft story buildings program and um, support owners in retrofitting their uh, wood frame single um, single family buildings, improving and continuing to retrofit our city buildings um, and um, ensuring that our shoreline facilities are prepared for for the future. I also didn't mention here tonight. Um, concrete buildings are another just a type of um, older concrete buildings that are often um, susceptible to damage and collapse in an earthquake, and um, believe to have about 150 of them here in Alameda. Um, we're looking to really incorporate the groundwater study into our um, to our strategies moving forward and adopt a citywide seal level rise adaptation strategy, and then. Um, address some of our priority flooding locations, particularly on Bay Farm Island and Doolittle Drive, and the northern shoreline near Posey Webster Tubes, and continue to make um, create shovel-ready adaptation projects. Um, just we've done uh, this is this is actually concluding our public engagement period here tonight. This is a, our last meeting of a series of board and commission meetings. In addition, we created a website for the, for the plan and sent emails, we conducted a community survey. We had a, um, a number of community meetings and we tabled at the farmer's market. We did some flyering in multiple languages and did outreach on social media. Um, so following the public comment period, um, we will submit the plan as required to the state and FEMA for review and then um, submit to council for adoption following approval. So that concludes my presentation tonight. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have um, and take your comments. Thank
0: you. let's start with with questions. Does anyone wanna uh, be first to jump in here and with their questions? Mr.
2: Sanchez. Thank you. Um, Well, thank you for your presentation. That was very good. With regards to uh, sort of incentive programs um, other than the California Earthquake Authority Program for uh, single-family residents, are there similar programs for other building-type owners, such as commercial or multi-tenant building owners that can be taken advantage of? Um, We
6: think that there is... Possibility that some of these FEMA um, mitigation grants that we become eligible for by completing this plan um, could be used to provide um, sub sub grants to um, multi-family apartment owners to do the work. And so that's something we're we're investigating. City of Berkeley and City of Oakland are using that program right now to to support owners. They're also using it for um, some concrete buildings and. Um, I think, yeah, I think concrete buildings and soft story buildings. I think they also may be using it for single family homes, um, but it's a it's a pretty labor intensive grant program for the the small amount of money for um, a single family home. Those retrofits typically run on the order of ten thousand dollars. They're they're really pretty simple and not um, not too intrusive, especially if you have some crawl space that you can work that contractors can work around in down there. Um, there's another program for single-family homes which could be used for multi-family as well the city of berkeley uses um, they provide a rebate on transfer tax um, transfer taxes but so when a home is sold um, an owner who conducts a seismic retrofit can have um, some of their transfer tax fee rebated to them to to cover the cost of the of the retrofit i see
0: okay thank you and it's my understanding that if the homeowner invest money into seismic upgrades that it doesn't change the property assessment as far as the property taxes so that's that, right. That's free and clear of, of any kind of increased value on in your property Yep.
6: okay
0: would anyone else like to ask questions okay I, I think i had a couple here i'm just looking through my comments um And, and thank you for the presentation. I thought it was really well done. Um, the I was impressed by the report, a little bit overwhelmed by it too. It um, There's so much information there and you managed to make it very concise and easy to understand. And I'm really, you know, I'm really pleased the city is thinking on these on this level and planning for the future because most of the mitigation is is so, financially intensive that it's going to take a lot of time <laughs> to, to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, do you, you seem to have a pretty good idea that the city has an inventory of masonry and concrete buildings that are potentially um, subject to collapse, or is that just kind of a, a listing of buildings that um, we know are made of those materials but we haven't really done any kind of uh, engineering studies of
6: um so on the unreinforced masonry buildings the the, the brick buildings we we do have a, a complete inventory of buildings and all of them have been seismically retrofitted um, which is the good news i think it's important to note that the seismic retrofits that were required for these types of buildings are really um very are, are pretty minimal so they're Designed to protect life safety, and actually, that's um, you know really the case for most seismic retrofits. It focuses on um, protecting the life of occupants and um, does not really guarantee the the survival of the building itself. Um, but we have retrofitted uh, all of our um, unreinforced masonry buildings, which is a, a, a big accomplishment. Um, there was uh, there's a program of the, it's called the Concrete Coalition that did some initial assessments of concrete buildings across the state of California and estimated there might be about 150 um, of these types of buildings here in Alameda. Um, I suspect that they're the type that is um, probably some of the, the concrete buildings that are out on the base that are being rehabilitated right now um, and then probably um, some like warehouses and garages and that that type. Um, but we don't have at this point like an address inventory mm-hmm. of where those buildings are.
0: Yeah, I suspect you're right that the Naval Air Station probably has quite a few of those. Um, and that's where it kind of gets into our realm, uh, understanding what's going to happen to those buildings and how they're going to be upgraded. Um there was there was mention in the report that there was a applicate a grant application for the North shoreline adaptation a previous application and, and it says it wasn't granted I'm wondering if you could talk about that if you know we asked for funds from whom and why was it not provided
6: um we did ask for funds for from the from caltrans. Um, And I believe it was their sustainable transportation planning grant program so this is not, um, not something that they typically fund I think they normally were expecting you know applications for bike lanes and that kind of thing. Um, So we uh, gave them something a little bit different to consider. Um, And we actually resubmitted that grant application uh, this year in partnership with the city of Oakland. Um, to think about adaptation strategies in a a little bit more holistic way thinking about um, both sides of the estuary. um, And thinking about uh, ground green infrastructure solutions on the inside of the um, of the shoreline to reduce sort of the storm, the flows that would be going out to the estuary um, in a big storm but this approach um, is something that we're really exploring um, intensely at the city of Alameda is working um, cross, a cross jurisdictional multi-jurisdictional um, way. We formed an adaptation working group with over 30 um, agencies and jurisdictions around the San Leandro Bay and um, Oakland Alameda Estuary. And really with the goal of jointly creating um, a, a vision plan for, for the whole shoreline and, and um, developing an organizational structure so that we can, so that we have a way to work across jurisdictions and bring in um, funding and um, help accelerate projects. We are just acutely aware of the, um, the significant lift that we are undertaking here in Alameda and other shoreline communities. And that um, it's really going to require new strategies and new ways of thinking um, to get where where we know we need to go and 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 we want to not just um, you know build walls around Alameda we'd like to protect our natural shoreline where we can and um, and improve our, our beaches and um, talking about planting eelgrass and you know enhancing recreational opportunities and really looking at this as an opportunity to um, to enhance the shoreline that we have here in Alameda as well where we can and we know that we can't do that everywhere so like Around the Posey Webster tubes, you know, we're not going to have a we're not going to have a beach and a and a marshland, but um, we 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 need to have walls in some locations.
0: Yeah, I think we, we get flooding around the Posey tube right right now. Um, Absolutely. Without without any without much rain at all. Yeah. Um, are there are, are there others that have questions? Please raise your hand. Board member Lau.
5: Yeah, I, I have one question. I want to know that is the wood firming building program, because seen like the um, historical building, I, I just saw a couple um historical building is like just no no firming at all. So my point is like um that program, if they identify as a historical, is it they will get more money to doing the um to doing the job? I'm sorry,
6: did they? What was? I'm not sure if I understand the question.
0: I think he was um, asking if there's. Oh, can I just? paraphrase it Alvin yeah. he was asking if there's more money for historic buildings to do their retrofitting because uh, of the complications with the older buildings
6: um, I, I don't do, I don't know if you mean like a, designated a, fund, a a
0: grant funding type
6: the grant funding that we have uh, for the state does not provide additional money for historical buildings um, it it is only for buildings that are old. Um, so you know, buildings built after about 1980 don't need the seismic retrofits, um, but there's not additional funds for a designated historic building. Yeah, I think I, what, I think the
0: question he was asking is more about buildings built before 1900.
6: Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Um, no, unfortunately
0: there's yeah. not. Yeah. Well, I, as a coincidence, I, I received a, a letter from the California Earthquake Authority today Uh, with uh, with an announcement about their $3,000 Brace and Bolt program. Um, So they're getting the word out. Board Member Sanchez, did you have another comment or question? No comments yet. Uh,
2: Yes, I did have another question. Um, So with regards to the the groundwater issue, um, maybe one that's more pertinent to our board is, so one of our sort of encouraged strategies for most of our homes and when we have the homeowners that want to increase the size of their home is to uh, dig down versus uh, versus raising a home, right? And so in many cases, like you were suggesting, the that helps because it's a seismic improvement of the overall structure. We're eliminating some of the issues with the cripple walls. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it does sort of exacerbate the problem that we're getting farther down into the water table. So do you foresee that there's going to be a curbing of that sort of solution in the future? Or are we, is that not sort of uh, contemplated right now in terms of how we address some of these issues?
6: It's, it's not, it's a good point. It's not something that we're, um, that we've had discussions about. I do know that um, in the city of Palo Alto, I believe they have a moratorium on that sort of um, activity because of groundwater, um, concerns and groundwater intrusion. Um, I think that at a minimum, um, folks who are considering, you know, basement dig out projects um, should consider a, a much higher groundwater table than, than we experience today. Um, but we, we, haven't, we haven't gotten to that level of detail yet, but I, I do think that's a conversation that, um, that, that may arise in the future.
0: Yeah, Thanks. it seems like it would be appropriate to get a geotechnical engineer involved to determine mm-hmm. where the water table will be. Um, in a similar, um, similar type of question, um, there was some discussion in the report about um, electrical resiliency and tree trimming, and I was my the thought that came to my mind was about undergrounding re- utilities, and you know, I, is that still something the city is is looking at? is taking electrical and telecommunication wiring underground?
6: Um, yes, I, I believe so. I, I, I can't I don't have a, a much better answer for you than that, unfortunately. Okay. But um...
0: uh, that's something uh, it may not be directly related to our committee, but I know that that certainly impacts the, the aesthetic qualities of our historic neighborhoods is mm-hmm. having all the wiring above ground. Are there others with questions? Board member Witt. I
3: have a question. Um, so their there, damage will take place with earthquakes and, and, and sea rise and things like this. Is there, a, is there a plan for cleanup or does it fall under this or how how do, how do we think about that and how do you address it?
6: Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think the, the best thing we can do is, is Prevent, I mean, you said it's going to be unavoidable, but to the extent that we can um, undertake these seismic retrofits so that there is less cleanup and less debris and um, less material that has to go to a landfill or be disposed of. Um, there are debris um, cleanup plans in, in place, and that's part of our emergency operations plan and part of um, the part of how state and federal government support after disasters is um, debris management. Um, I, unfortunately, I don't have a lot more details about that process than, than to say that it's um, usually a very significant portion of um, post-disaster efforts is just removing debris and figuring out how to sort it and where to put it.
3: And how to have a town, right? How to have right. a city after all of that, that debris falls. Well, yeah, and absolutely. and displaced
0: people as well. That's a a mm-hmm. huge part of that equation. Right.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Thank you.
0: What Member Lau or Jones? Any more questions?
5: Um, I have a question. Um, I guess I'm just trying to um, bring it back to the the average homeowner or um, multi-unit owner and. Um, I, I thought um, some really great points were made um, during your presentation, Miss Mueller. Is that how you say your name? Mm-hmm. And um, but it's like, wow, I, I did not know all those uh, incentives existed. And But still, like, who do I talk to? What kind of seismic contractor do I approach? Will they know how to? Um, you know, figure this out to my particular needs of this type of house versus that type of house. Um, these are all questions that Almedans have a lot of times because we have not just old homes, but very, very old homes. I think we have like the largest density of Victorian homes anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. So um, can you kind of maybe speak to that? Um, because, you know, the $3,000 grant sounds wonderful, but I have no clue how much retrofitting my home might cost. I think $10,000 was mentioned here and there. Um, but I think it's intimidating for a lot of people to get to that step, especially Mm -hmm. improving on their home. That's not necessarily aesthetic and you can see the value right away. However, I, again, like I think, um, a couple of our board members um, mentioned, your presentation was wonderful because you know it just really um, showed some of the major points and the facts that I think we need to be aware of right now because um, we're not really talking about, like 20, 20 years seems like a long time, but it's also a very short amount of time. And mm-hmm. um, like you said in your presentation, um, having these sort of um, improvements or, um, you know, making these uh, changes right now can really impact um, the, you know, mitigative um, um, a loss for words right now but just it'll it'll be a lot better to do this reduce the
6: the scope of the impact yeah
5: exactly so Um, back to my question sorry um how, how does a typical homeowner feel make that leap or is there some resource that makes it easier
6: so for a typical single family homeowner one of the great things about the um the cea program is that they have certified contractors um that and the, with a, you know, a list of people that you can reach out to. So one of the challenges used to be that a lot of people said they could do seismic retrofits and it doesn't require an engineer. Um, and so people would sort of do what they wanted to do. And it was um, not, not always up to, up to standard. So there is, a, there is now a standard sort of engineered plan set that, um, that folks can use and the city of Alameda has promoted it for a long time. It's called plan set A. Um, and you can go put in some, you put in some information about your house, do some basic calculations. And it basically tells you, um, how many linear feet of plywood you need, how nail spacing, how many nails, how many bolts. Um, it really is a pretty simple project. If you don't need, if you have an adequate foundation, I mean, if you have a crumbling foundation, that's, um, a, a different level of project, but if you have an adequate foundation that is, um, fairly, uh, that's in decent shape. I had a seismic retrofit done on my foundation that is not brand new by any means, but it wasn't crumbling. Um, you know, you, um, put some bolts into the foundation, you put some plywood up on the interior cripple wall. Um, and then you, you clip that cripple wall to the, to the floor above and you just need to get the ma- nail spacing right and have the right length of plywood. Um, so it really is a pretty simple, the city of San Leandro actually has a really great um, handbook for homeowners and they used to do training at least before COVID for homeowners who wanted to undertake this as a DIY project. Um, but the the booklet that they, that they have is a really nice sort of step-by-step guide if a homeowner wanted to do this themselves. Um, but the, but the, um, the CEA um, has contractors that have been pre-vetted and all trained and that they, they do, inspections make sure that they're they're following the the, the protocol um on a, like a bigger multifamily project um the first call would really be to an to an engineer to design the to design the retrofit and then to work with them
5: um on a contractor is the engineer uh, are there resources to find engineers suitable for those kind of larger projects
6: Um, I don't, there's not like, um, specific lists or place or people who, um, who, you know, have vetted there, there was at one time, some list of structural engineers who had an interest in, in this type of seismic retrofit, but, um, there's a number, you know, there's a number of engineers that have been pretty active in Alameda that do this type of work that are, are pretty well respected. If you do a little bit of searching. Okay. Thank you.
0: And your friendly local architects can be a good resource for Mm -hmm, that too. Exactly. (laughs) The City of Alameda's website actually has some links to the information about the Plan Set A and seismic retrofitting. If you just, it's pretty easy to find. And um, it's, it's out there, you can find the information. But it's surprising how many homes have not been retrofitted. I see them all the time.
5: Out of curiosity, how long does it take to actually, I know there's variables about <clears throat> how big it is. And then you mentioned um, if you have a crumbling foundation, that's a different level, but yeah, how long and would um, family I, need I, to leave their home?
6: You don't, do you say leave the home? Mm-hmm. No, no. It's, it's completely done in the in the basement or in the, um, in the garage if you have a living, if you have a split level home with a living space over the garage, then it's reinforcing the, the garage door basically. Um, or you are just in the crawl space or in the basement, so there's absolutely no need to be upstairs for any reason. And it's inside; you're not removing stucco or any exterior things. Um, you know, if you have sheetrock or something in your in your basement, then you might need to to remove some of that to install the plywood. Um, but I think when I did it on my home a number of years ago, it was maybe a couple of days. It's 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 really a pretty it's it's a pretty simple. Project. I mean, it just requires knowing knowing how to how to do it and to do do the right thing and have the right nail spacing and have the right size bolts and the right material. Um, but for a contractor that knows how to do it, it's really a pretty simple project.
2: Yeah, I was gonna add to that, Lynn, that my neighbor across the street did his own retrofit in a very tight crawl space. And it took him probably about four to six weeks. Um, but if you had a contracting crew and a little bit of space and the right tools, that for most homeowners, it's the lack of the tools as well as the sort of lack of know-how. Um, but anyway, I, I think he bought some, rented some, and was able to get it done in about six weeks without, you know, so too much hassle. And again, this was in a very tight space, so. That's the worst part of the job,
0: usually yeah. the crawl space.
2: Yes, small, small people do fare better. <laughs> my, well, name my, like, my name had is 6'4", he didn't do great.
0: I have a raised uh, first floor, like a, a you know, a, above ground basement in my house. And, and I had the retrofitting done from the outside, which is also an option, mm-hmm. but it requires removing the siding and putting the plywood on the outside and then putting the siding back. So it's a little more involved, but the result was I was able to leave my plaster finishes downstairs intact. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. Any other questions before we open it up to public comment? No? Okay. Let's uh, let's see if there's anybody who wants to make a comment. Do we have any attendees? Uh,
1: there's currently only one attendee. It is Christopher Buckley,
0: and they are raised my hand. Mr. Buckley, are you with us?
4: Yes, can you hear me?
0: Yes. Good,
4: thank you. Um, Really a question, and this may be outside the scope of the study, but with regard to earthquake caused fires, which actually is an hazard that's listed in the study, um, is there a plan to address any widespread fires that might be caused, particularly if the water supply is cut off? As many of you know, in 1906, that's one of the reasons San Francisco burned down because the water pipes were broken, and they couldn't get uh, the fire. Firefighters couldn't do any; it had no water to fight the fires. They had to use dynamite to uh, create fire lines. And there is some vulnerability, it seems, with um, Alameda's water supply. Um, you know, East Bay muds pipes go across the Hayward Fault. They have installed a. Uh, they retrofitted the so-called Claremont Tunnel to withstand earthquakes, but if there's a big shift on the Hayward Fault, and I think some studies have indicated it could shift like five or six feet or maybe more. Um, you know, I wonder if the Claremont Tunnel is gonna hold up. So if the water supply is cut off in Alameda, is there a contingency plan to have enough water for fighting fires? Some cases uh, having fire boats uh, pumping water out of the estuary and long fire hoses you know, going you know you know in the city streets is an option. At one time Oakland had a high pressure pumping system next to Lake Merritt that would pump water out of Lake Merritt and get it uh, to at least that area, particularly the downtown in case an earthquake caused fire um, broke out. That was nineteen fifteen so the nineteen oh six earthquake was very fresh then. but that's my question is there any is is that a legitimate concern this um, uncontrolled fires from earthquakes? Um, and is there any strategy to address it? And just one comment to an undergrounding responding to uh, uh, President Saxby's question. Yes, the city of Alameda does have an undergrounding program. It's actually Alameda Municipal Power, um, but it's, um, it's a long period implemented. The estimate is to underground the whole city will probably take a hundred years. Wow. So, but anyway, that's, uh, can, um, can the consultant uh, address the question I raised concerning uh, earthquake caused fires?
6: Okay, if I answer the question?
4: Yes, Um, it
0: is, absolutely. uh,
6: Earthquake-caused fires are, so we have not talked about that. It is a a very significant concern, especially here in Alameda. Um, Fires after earthquakes are ignited by uh, ruptured gas lines. They can be ignited by falling power lines. Um, They can be ignited by, you know, the gas lines in the street, but also by toppling appliances, um, water heaters that fall and break gas lines. And when when buildings like we've been discussing are not seismically retrofitted, they shift off their foundations and it breaks the gas line at the the connection with the building. Um, So another reason that seismic retrofitting is so important in Alameda is to prevent um, gas earthquake caused fires um, also, installing gas shutoff valves on the um, on the uh, the meter at your at the building um, is a really important strategy, and that was was required of all of the soft story buildings in Alameda was to install those gas shutoff meters. Alameda actually also requires them whenever you get a plumbing permit, when I think um, when a, there's a transfer, when a property sells or I think a deed transfer. Um, So we have gotten uh, over the years a good number of um, gas shutoff valves installed in buildings. But um, still, any of the remaining ones could cause fires as well as you know, this is why we require hot water heaters to be strapped for earthquakes so that they don't topple over. And if you have a gas stove or another gas appliance, making sure you have a a flexible connection so that if they topple over, it doesn't rupture a gas line. but there, there's a study by the USGS that um, has been, that is out called the, the Haywired Study. And it looks at a scenario earthquake on the Hayward Fault and the implications for a whole range of things. And one of the things that looks at is post-earthquake caused fires um, and estimates that, you know, in the inner East Bay where we have this, the density of wood frame housing that we have, there is a really strong potential for many um, fire ignitions that could rapidly spread and be overwhelming for, for fire departments. Um, here in Alameda, we do have uh, water tenders that can draw water from the bay um, to, to uh, fight fires if there is no water service. And um, the Haywire study by USGS also demonstrated that we probably will lose water from East Bay Mud Service for a number of weeks. Um, following an earthquake because of just the number of pipelines and liquefaction areas that will rupture and the length of time it would take for crews to go around and fix all of those pipes Um, as well as probably some of the larger transmission pipelines like um, the the caller was was describing. So um, it it is a significant concern here in Alameda and probably will cause um, additional loss of uh, wood frame buildings here in Alameda so going back to retrofit your home install gas shut off valves and um and and then you know our fire department is preparing to to respond to as many uh fire ignitions as it can but there will be multiple ignitions across the city for them to respond to and and likely a loss of water as well
3: great thank okay. you thank you so I sort of wonder, hearing that. Thank you. That was scary a little bit. That um, is it not a public safety concern to not to to not retrofit these houses? And should we not be doing more as a city to help um, elderly people and low income people retrofit their homes? Um, I don't know if that can be done through uh, a city a city. city grant that's that helps those those people because i mean it is a public it's a public public concern that you know an entire the entire island could burn down if if we don't have the houses retrofitted
6: so i'm Um, just wondering
3: if the city could do more
6: i think you're right and i think we can um and there is also city grant funds. I don't think I mentioned for low-income homeowners um, through our community development department. Um, in addition to the CEA grants, I, I think there's, I think there's absolutely more that we can be doing. Um, the Berkeley transfer tax program has retrofitted um, many. They've been doing it for 20 years, so you know the number of homes that have sold over those times. And and the nice thing about that too is that if a home sells. Um, You know, the second you can keep accessing the funds if the home, every time the home sells and do something else so you can do a seismic retrofit and then some another another issue is um, the brick tall brick chimneys that can that can topple um, and break at the roof line. Um, So, you know, the second time the home sells you can do a project like that. Um, I think that we we really need to. to raise awareness about the importance of, of this issue for homeowners and and identify additional ways to help get this work done.
0: Before we get into comments, are there any other uh, public comments, board comments? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i waiting for board comments until we finish public comments. So do we have any more public comments? Uh, no one else is raising their hand. Okay, so we're moving into board comments. These are all- Sorry, Tom. That's all right, that's all right. <laughs> We run a loose meeting here. Um, well, the, the, the message I'm getting from all this uh, seems to be that, that public outreach and information is just critical and that there needs to be some very active work on the part of the city to let homeowners know what's needed, what funds are available, if any, and you know a timeline. You know if it's not going to be mandatory we need to create some incentives for people to do this work um it's it's really and i see that there there's people are thinking about that and they're talking about it but you know as a homeowner here in alameda the notice from the cea that i got today was really the first i mean i know about these issues but i'm in the business so the average homeowner may not be hearing this information, and when I go out to look at people's homes for for additions and retrofits and whatnot, a lot of them don't know anything about bolting or uh, you know the shear ply in the crawl space or anything like that. So I think that that you know public education is is our most critical uh, issue, and probably you know needs to be a really high priority uh, item for. Uh, action, you know, less talk more action kind of thing. Um, So, and the other, the other thought I had was, you know, in, in talking about this post-disaster situation, um, I was a part, I've, I'm registered with the Office of Emergency Services in the state of California. And as part of the uh, response to some of the fires in California, we've been called to do inspections. And I know the city has, you know, resources. They've they've trained staff and they've trained the fire department and whatnot to to do post-emergency inspections and participate um, in the recovery. But there's also a lot of qualified professionals in our city like uh, Mr. Sanchez and myself that could be used to help with that sort of process and I just I, I hope the city's aware of the, um, the OES um, programs because they were, and they, they rallied dozens of people to go up to um, Paradise to inspect homes after the campfire. And it, it, the process went fairly quickly because of that. So, um, there's a couple of comments from me. Other comments? Mr. Sanchez.
2: Yeah, so I think um, tying a couple of um, of points in the discussion from Mr. Buckley, and um, I, I think to address one of your concerns, Jen, is I think that in addition to sort of outreach and educating public and all of that, there also has to be a little bit of a community-based response. Um, so one example of that is I, I have a colleague, uh, an architect as well, who in his neighborhood in Oakland gathered all of his neighbors and they all did, uh, they hired a plumber and that plumber went and got the permits for everybody on the block to get their gas valve installed. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they pulled all the neighbors to understand who hadn't installed one yet. And by sort of doing the legwork and helping educate them and let them know what what needed to be done, they did it as a group because the whole idea there is, well, if I have an earthquake valve and my neighbor doesn't, their house can burn my house down. So mm-hmm. we have to be in this together, right? And we all have to participate. So I think that's a, one really good approach to that. And then the other benefit is, you know, to Tom's point about sort of uh, uh, people getting educated about bolting their foundations and those sorts of things. What I find with a lot of our clients is when they first purchase their home, they get the the inspection reports and that's when they discover that they have a brick foundation or they have you know a soft story condition or an unretrofitted basement so that's sort of a great time when people have just spent a lot of money to purchase a home and so ten thousand dollars towards doing a retrofit seems something that's very palatable so uh, we try to really encourage new homeowners when they're thinking about remodeling and doing extensive additions to their homes to devote part of their budget to dealing, addressing those deficiencies in their homes. So uh, thankfully we've had a lot of turnover in Alameda recently. And I think that a lot of, it's more the, the people that have been in their homes for a long time and haven't yet done it that I think are the ones that we have to make sure are more aware and are, are thinking of, and taking advantage of the resources, I guess.
0: Thank you, uh,
5: other comments? Oh I just uh I just are curious, is it like um older like all the puppet uh, facility like um like Alameda Cinema, is it like they're all the retrofit already? Um they are not I'm curious, yeah. Because it's a safety, you know.
6: I mean older buildings like that are not retrofitted. Because there's you know no requirement to retrofit them just because they're old. Um, there was a law in Alameda to retrofit unreinforced masonry buildings, so those are the the brick buildings that we discussed. Um, I I don't know about the what type of structure the Alameda Theater is and whether it's done a seismic retrofit. I imagine as part of the rehabilitation process that that was done, um, but I don't know for sure.
5: How about other like uh, like the terminal like Alameda Terminal between Oakland and Alameda? Is it there retrofit already? Or I mean just kind of curious. I mean, for the general public facility.
6: Um, a lot of general public facilities, like the city facilities have the city has retrofitted its own facilities. Um a lot of a lot of cities have completed retrofits of of their own facilities, a lot of state facilities um, and other public facilities have been retrofitted. Um, I think that's a good point, you know, historic facilities that undergo like a, you know, a rehabilitation and restoration process um, would do a seismic retrofit as part of that. Um, Alameda High School, I think it's an example, it did a really extensive seismic retrofit. Um, And and schools are, you know, public schools are also required to do seismic retrofits. private schools are not, which is an issue that the city of San Francisco has been looking into for a number of years, um, because private schools are often not to the same seismic performance standards as public schools. Um, but yeah, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah. I think I read in the report that the Caltrans had looked at the Posey tube as part of a 2004 retrofit. That's right. And they, they it's it's not going to collapse i guess was their assessment and therefore they're not going to do any more to it um and i think that some tiles were removed from the ceiling that were a safety hazard and i don't know what else they did as part of that 2004 work but there has been some work done on the posy tube other comments questions okay well, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Myler. The, uh, it was a really, it's a very impressive report and it's a, it's a really important topic for our city. And I, I wish you the best of luck to get the word out, which I, I think is critical. Um, all good. these things involved getting people involved.
6: Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So there's no action item for us on that. Um, So without any objections, I will move along to board communications. Um, I think we discussed one of my topics for board communications, which was the uh, AAPS letter from October 24th. And since we've sort of finished that discussion, I won't bring it up again. The other uh, question I had was regarding the the update of the preservation ordinance this is something that we got into god it seems like a year nine months ago Um, we started to look at updating the various sections of the preservation ordinance and then it kind of just went away so i wanted to ask staff about that is there is there still a thought that we're going to be looking at the preservation ordinance and updating it or is it is it sort of a dead issue
1: yeah we're uh, we're still going to be working on Uh, updating the historic preservation ordinance. Um, At this time, I guess it's taken a a little bit of a backseat to um, all of our housing element work that we're doing right now. So a lot of our our resources are going into uh, the housing element and then also some of these new state requirements that um, are in regards to, um, I guess, uh, allowing residential uses and changes to um, residential zoning that the state's requiring. Uh, I think some of them are like SB9 and SB10 Mm -hmm. and and so so right now, yeah, all our our resources are going into kind of these zoning change um, developments and then the housing element But I think um, next year, we're definitely going to revisit um, the historic uh, preservation ordinance and bring it back for you guys to take a look at um, based on those comments that you guys made um, earlier this year.
0: Yeah, we were sort of gradually working our way through the ordinance and making comments and then it just kind of went away. So that's why I wanted to bring it up again. Great, and I look I forward think, to that. Go ahead.
1: Oh, and Sorry. then also one thing that we we're also thinking about trying to introduce and bring you guys is um, uh, maybe a recommendation to the council to get into the Mills Act um, program too. So um, so that's also something we'll probably be working on.
0: Yeah, I think we were asked to look at a, um, the city of Anaheim's mills act program as part of our homework. And, um, I'm not sure if we all did that. I did that and it was interesting to see it. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if, if as part of that, we should be talking about, um, sort of a historic resource evaluation. We have this long study list of buildings, but we don't really have any background information about any of those buildings. Um, so that would be, food for thought there that there really should be an investment in in sort of understanding what we have as far as historic resources here in the city. Because when we we have to decide which buildings are eligible for Mills acts, I think that that would be an important uh, bit of information to to have in front of us.
3: I did not do that homework, but I'm going to.
0: It's interesting, it's a great program. But it can be, um, you know, the the, the interpretation of it for various homes, you know, they're asking people to bring homes back to an historic period. You know, you made this change, but that's not historically appropriate. So it needs to go, part of your investment needs to be returning that home to its historically accurate uh, condition um, that opens up a whole can of worms.
1: Yeah, they're supposed to follow like a work plan over the the time period of
0: the year. 10 year -year work plan. Yeah, but not okay. Well, that that's something we could talk about later. Any other board communications?
3: I think the, one thing I've been thinking about it is it would be great to have an update of the projects that we've looked at, um, like the the one on Lincoln, and you know what's happening with the, the, the gas station across from City Hall. Um, we, I, I'm not I'm not sure, uh, but it would be it'd be nice to know what's happening with those.
0: Thank you. That's an excellent, excellent point.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good suggestion, and um, I think maybe we can try to
0: look at doing this, something like that for the next meeting. Um, okay. I'll up that. Okay. Yeah, I think um, we had an update on uh, the Alameda Marina at our September meeting, and that was interesting to understand what's happening with that, and that, you know, there's Del Monte as well. So let's let's try to add that to our Future agenda. Okay. Thank you. Other comments? Okay. So moving along to staff communications. Are there any staff communications?
1: Um, Just for staff communications, I was just going to touch on the next uh, December meeting. Um, We kind of just talked about earlier how we're going to cover the housing element um, workshop. Um, And so we'll Introduce the housing element, and then talk about some state requirements that um, require it. And then we'll take like questions and comments from the board and and the public. Um, but uh, as of now, we don't have anything else on that agenda. So, um, that's on that on that meeting.
2: Okay. great. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, Henry. A quick question for for the housing element. Um, is that for that workshop is that something that we should be reviewing the materials that were presented the last time we touched on that or would it be better to draw from the materials that are being used for the planning board meeting that's upcoming
1: yeah um let's see we will probably distribute the materials to you too but um it will be the same materials that was used in the planning board uh, workshop on uh, october 25th and
2: Got then it. also council workshop um, that's going to be november 16th got it yeah i just um yeah i find that if i wait until i get the materials it, it becomes a little bit difficult to to do all the reading so it just gives us a chance to jump on it a little bit earlier
1: so the oh, yeah, Octob- definitely
2: okay so the october 25th meeting one is will be basically the similar or the same version as what we would be reviewing for our for our meeting is that correct
1: yeah um yeah it will be the same one and then also the november 16th council meeting when when that uh, agenda comes out we'll also have
0: um, have the information
2: too perfect okay thank you
0: so i don't think we receive the council agenda directly do do any of us receive that i think we get the planning commission agenda but we don't get the council agenda
2: so uh, yeah I that's bo- I believe that's right. I think that the uh, it's available on the website, Thomas. But I don't okay. think it's sent to us directly. now.
0: But I, I agree with uh, Mr. Sanchez's comment about it's it, you know when you have a week or less to to look at this material, especially like a report like the one we just had to review with the uh, hazard mitigation. It's a it's a lot to to take in and think about. Um, so the housing element probably is equally as complex. More time is good. Okay,
1: yeah, I'll circle back with Alan. and We'll see if how we can get that out to you guys actually okay. uh, sooner. Yeah,
3: and I, I, I'm fine getting them digitally. I, I don't really need it. Is there something that the reason? Is there a reason we need a, a, a like a physical packet? Is there something a part of like gov- governance, or or can we just get the, everything digitally? Because then it, then you know, you guys don't have to, have to prepare it, and we can have it sooner.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can give it to you uh, digitally. Um, so, uh, I think some, some, some boards, uh, yeah, we just pr- provided digitally to, to okay. the members. So, all
3: right. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I don't think unless I hear any objections, I don't think we have any, I think we would all accept digital format, um, save the paper. Um, any other staff communications and we're circling back to oral communications. Are there any public comments about uh, potential HAB items? <laughs> uh, yes, there's one person is in the hand, it's Mr. Buckley. Okay, Mr. Buckley. Can you hear me? We can. Great,
4: okay, uh, just responding to um, the board discussion about the historic building study list and getting more information on the buildings there. Uh, for some of them, there are state historic resources inventory forms prepared um and if you look on the study list there's a little s not the big s which means state form or eligible for state form but a little s meaning that one has actually been prepared and uh, the planning department should have all of those it would be really good to digitize all of them and put them on the website or some other public
5: we lost accessible your crit. place you kind and, of cut uh, out there among
4: those forms include forms prepared uh, can you hear me now
0: Yes, but you sort of dropped away there for a few seconds.
4: Oh, okay. So uh, it would be really good to digitize those forms so they could be available to the wider public as well as to the HAB. And uh, there's one class of forms that was done on a special project for all the URM buildings in Alameda. And uh, so that's kind of a separate batch, but those, that would be another body of these state forms that have a lot of information on historic buildings. Uh, the forms are mostly written by Woody Minor, so they're pretty authoritative. So that would be a suggestion that maybe staff in its uh, spare time, <laughs> or if we can find volunteers to uh, get these forms digitized, or maybe they've already been digitized. Uh, I don't know, staff have know anything about that?
0: That's all I was gonna say, yeah. so you can turn me off. Thank you, Mr. Buckley.
1: Yeah. Um... Yeah, there are a percentage of the um, study list um, properties that do have uh, state forms. And uh, we do have some of them digitized already. I don't know if we have all of them, but um, but we definitely can look into that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, as a city that has so many historic buildings, it would be a great resource to have that be part of the city website. Uh, some, if a homeowner wants to research their home, they go to this, you know, portion of the site and look up the address and see what information or photographs or there is about the house. Um, that would be just an incredible addition to the city website.
5: And I don't know. If uh, this is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Then. I was just saying, I don't know if this is, um, you know, you would already think to do it, but like kind of searchable. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, you know, it, it could be digitized, but like easy to search what you're actually looking for. You know mm-hmm. what I'm trying yeah. to say? Like, it, yeah. it could
0: be searchable by architect or by date or by builder or by address mm-hmm. or all sorts of things.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: we'll have to figure out the technology for that. Uh, I think a lot of them are are, are typed um, kind of with the old typewriter um, uh, utility. though. So, um,
0: you start with yeah. scanning them. <laughs> I mean that's really a record that probably needs to be preserved digitally because it could be lost as a as a hard paper item. Okay, if there's no other um, oral communications, I take it there isn't, then uh, that draws our meeting to a close. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Good discussion. And I'll see you all or have a happy Thanksgiving. And I'll see you all in early December. Sounds great. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Everyone.